0: This car is the most honest car you have seen. it's been a dream ever since i've had it the first time i heard that engine screaming i thought i gotta have one of those for me the cars have personality what's great about a bmw classic is the community that surrounds it
1: when you listen to that <laughs> that's why we're here welcome to classic heart the bmw group classic podcast this is jp and our guest today is Stratton. Stratton is a YouTube sensation because he turned his passion for BMWs into kind of a job, meaning he wanted to save BMW models from the scrapyard and working meticulously on bringing them back to life and of course, gets his hands dirty. (laughs) Stratton, welcome to Classic Heart. Thank you for having me, JP. It's so cool to have you because um, I'm following you on Instagram. I follow uh, the YouTube channel you do. And I mean, for the two people in the BMW world who might not know you, tell us more about you, Stratton. What is the secret about you?
0: Well, my name is Stratton, and I founded a YouTube channel called M539 Restorations. This was a few years ago, and this is the channel where I fix, restore, repair sometimes even break old classic BMWs. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up, but we can go a lot more in detail and uh, about the stuff What I do and how everything started for me. So absolutely. So you're now based in Frankfurt and we just spoke about
1: it before this podcast that Frankfurt is one of the most underrated city in, in Germany because it just got connected to the banking and finance world. Correct. So what brought you
0: to Frankfurt actually? So when I first moved to Germany, I first landed in Berlin. This was in February of 2017. I landed because uh, my profession, I have a college degree in, uh, in IT. Uh, I worked in the IT sector in Berlin for about six months. Then I got a better job offering in Frankfurt where I moved with my girlfriend and I worked for a company here in financial sector of course for about Obviously. three years <laughs> yeah what else but in the beginning i didn't really like frankfurt because we moved here in the middle of the winter and winters in germany everything is great it's cold nothing looks good uh but over time i've grown to love to love the city i really like frankfurt for the fact that it's Compact, it's appropriate size. Where we want to go, it's close by. The public transport is really good, and it's also in the heart of Germany. So if you want to go to France, Netherlands, Italy, Austria, everything is around. And of course, you have one of the biggest airports in Europe, which is quite handy. Yeah, uh, that's
1: absolutely true. And I mean, you have the towns around you, which have some beautiful yeah. roads to drive on as well. I mean, that's that's also a big big plus uh, for all that region down in Hessen. So, exactly. um, but where did you? life starts in terms of car memories
0: so i was born and raised in serbia i graduated in it in belgrade and during my college days i actually went to california on student exchange program wow and uh yeah i landed a job in california where i ended up staying for a few years and that's actually where my love for bnw started really um, yeah so i needed a daily driver and uh you know in europe In most cities you don't need a car to do day-to-day stuff you have really good public transportation you can go around easily but in the u.s you really need a car if you want to go somewhere so once i landed uh, once i signed my work contract i started looking at the cars and i always liked bmws but i could never afford them here but in california they're everywhere they're cheap and they're rust free So I bought my first 2002 E39 530i, Wow, beautiful car, I bought it in LA from the first owner and um, as it is an old car with 125 something thousand miles, it needed a bit of work, Uh, but at the time I didn't know how to do anything, I didn't know how to change the oil really
1: um, <laughs> yeah
0: i mean it looks completely different if you look at your videos now but that i know we come to that later but go ahead please. yeah people don't believe me when i say that but uh it's true so i have to uh, say I'm, there's
1: hope for me actually because yeah i'm still
0: in that phase <laughs> yeah for everyone um i was working uh in it but it was sort of my first job and i was getting paid 18 dollars an hour so i couldn't really afford labor rates in the workshops so i i started looking on Craigslist. I found local guys that were able to do some work on the car. I like replaced the rear brakes, changed the oil. So I was starting to look how they do stuff. Then I started watching YouTube videos as well, and I decided to try some stuff on my own. So I started with small stuff, changing the oil on myself, replacing the spark plugs, doing the valve cover gaskets. And uh, in combination with forums, YouTube videos, uh, workshop repair manuals, I was doing every day something else. It was really super interesting to me because when the car is broken and I fix it, the satisfaction factor is huge, it's massive. Like I've done something with my hands and the car works again. And uh, that was just a huge motivation to keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, um, that's
1: beautiful, no? So you have something yeah. which is not working. I mean, I think everyone, who is uh, tuned in can rely to that. Yeah. Even simple things like remote control and it doesn't work and even changing the battery and it works afterwards Exactly. Gives you a sheer moment of joy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. So I remember one of my first things was uh, the diesel valve on the M54 engine was rattling like really badly. And I remember I ordered a kit from German Auto Solutions and uh, I fixed it myself and I was like, huge, I've done something. The car is working properly. It's not rattling anymore. It's a good working car. And... Uh, Then eventually I fixed up pretty much everything I wanted with my own car. And then I started looking at other cars. And uh, the second car that I bought was E38 uh, 7 Series, 740 IL. And I bought it uh, from a garage in LA. It's been sitting there for a few years and I bought it for 500 bucks, something like that. Super cheap. It needed engine work, timing chain guides, of course. And uh, that was far beyond my skill at that time. But I drove it back home to Santa Barbara. I cleaned it up, did a few things, made a really nice for sale ad, and then I sold it. And I sort of started flipping cars, but not in a traditional sense where people just buy cars, repost it for a higher price with better pictures and sell it. Uh, I started sort of reconditioning cars. So yes. the next car I bought was another E38. And with each car, I was doing something else. I would do, for example, the brakes, the suspension, the valve cover, complete cooling system. And yeah. In, in a time frame of about six to eight months, I had 20 to 25 BMWs, which was just nuts. And uh, <laughs> I was loving it. I, I was just living the dream, buying cheap, broken cars, fixing them and selling them. And I always had good response from, uh, from the buyers as well, because when they would come to see the car, they would say, oh, you're really honest about the car. If there's anything wrong with it, I would disclose it. And if there's something that needs to be fixed, I would fix it. And um, that's that's how it all started. And uh, then my work contract came to an end. and uh, I had uh, I had to choose whether I'm going to stay in California, which was my pretty much life dream to live in California. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it was either stay in California and figure out a way to stay there legally, because in the U.S. it's rather complicated to get a work permit and citizenship. And the other option is, is of course, to come back to Germany, where my girlfriend was studying at the time in Siegen and be with her. Um, Well, I decided to come to Germany and be with her. That's when I landed a job in Berlin. I sorted out my papers, work permit and stuff. And as soon as I got um, I got my work permit, even before I started working, I bought my first BMW here. (laughs) Uh, Obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) First things first. Exactly. Priorities. So this was 2017 and I found E39M5 near Nürburgring, actually, uh, being sold by a farmer in really rough condition. Mm -hmm. It was uh, May of 2000, uh, production date, and uh, I bought it. So. After some back and forth with the seller, I drove that car up to Berlin and I started my usual thing of reconditioning the car. I did a few things mechanically, new tires, I refurbished the headlights, service of the engine, and I drove that car for about three or four months. And then I had to sell it, I made a little bit of a profit on it, and then I moved on to the next one. Then I found E31 850i, six-speed manual in, in Italy, in Turin. Um, went over there and met the seller, nicest guy ever. Uh, he sold me the car, I brought it to Berlin, did my usual thing, sold it, actually went to Poland. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. I bought another E39 M5 that I was restoring. After that, I bought another E31 in Spain. And after I restored that last car that I bought in E31 50 i from Spain, which was a beautiful car and a proper barn find with 90,000 kilometers, I sold that car and then I decided, because uh, let me put it this way, I love watching YouTube videos. I love watching all of the popular channels and, and stuff. And one day I was watching and thinking, I think I can do this, maybe even a bit better. So I decided to buy a a car specifically to start the YouTube channel, which was my project Dubai Mm -hmm. 2000 E38 750 IL. And I bought it with the sole purpose of starting the YouTube channel. The car came from Dubai, took three to four months to get it back to Germany, pay customs, toll, all of that stuff. I tried a few different formats uh, of YouTube videos, and I decided to do the the voiceover thing because I was really uncom- uncomfortable in front of the camera. Because yeah. when you start filming yourself and you start listening to yourself, you just you sound dumb, like, who's gonna watch this? <laughs> so I decided just, I'm gonna do my thing. Uh, I'm gonna record it. And then if I need to say something, I can do it in the voiceover, uh, later in voiceover. And uh, that's how it started. First Project Dubai video got 200, 300 views. Then I bought, a parts car for that car here in Offenbach in Germany. Mm -hmm. That car was sitting on the parking lot for about five, six uh, years. Uh, The price was really cheap. I went over there, uh, made a deal with the seller, and I decided to film the video of how I start that car. And um, it was a short video, I think 15 to 20 minutes. I started the car, brought it back over to the workshop, well, small garage at the time, and uh, posted the video on YouTube. And for about two months, it did nothing. 500 views, something like that. And then right before New Year's, I think it was 2020, I decided to change the thumbnail of that video. And I changed the thumbnail to a picture where you can actually see the car and made a catchy title starting yes. BMW E12 for the first time in 5 years and then the video just exploded in 2 days it got half a million views people I mean, subscribing that's crazy it's unbelievable i couldn't believe it like we were in uh, with my girlfriend in macedonia in skopje for yeah. new years with her family and i was watching on my phone and the thing is just blowing up emails comments <laughs> everything is going up i was like what is going on this is unbelievable and people were asking for, we want to see more videos, we want to see work on that stuff. And then I bought my next car, which was Project Bilbao E31 H50i. Um, that was a crazy story. Um, it popped up on a Spanish ads listing website, whatever, I can't even remember the yeah. name of it. And I thought it was fake, but I reached out to the seller on WhatsApp and it turns out the car is real. He sent me more pictures, information about the car and I booked the flight the very next day. I was still working at the time. I think I even called sick uh, to go and buy that car.
1: Okay. <laughs> Are you the, at this, with the
0: same employer? Well, I, I'm self-employed now, <laughs> okay, so. good, perfect, good. I, I can say whatever <laughs> I want, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I think I called in sick. I flew into Bilbao, met the seller, and I bought the car. I brought it over to Germany, and it didn't run in, I think, 10 years or something like that. Uh, Made a video about it reviving the car. First time running in 10 years. And that video blew up as well and got 1.1 million views. And that's where it all kind of started from there. Uh, For the next year, it was really difficult to create videos because I I had a daytime job from um, nine to six. So all of my time was, I was either at work, then I would come home, have dinner with my girlfriend, then I have to rush to the garage, work on the car, film, edit. I was just exhausted. So it it can take me up to two, three months to create a video. But it was going really well. Then I bought my next big project, E60 M5 with the five-speed manual. Uh, With the six-speed manual from the US, one of 1,200 and something examples ever made. And I always admired E60 M5 because of the beautiful V10 engine, but I never wanted one because of the SMG gearbox, which is the uh, semi-manual thing. So when this one popped up, and this was right at the beginning of COVID, uh, I think the guy was a bit scared and he wanted to sell it ASAP and he listed it for, um, what was it, Uh, $7,100. Yeah, it was super cheap. The car looked really beat up from the outside. The bumper was broken, 55 different shades of gray on it. Yeah, Uh, The interior was super dirty. The check engine light was on. The car worked really rough Uh, and I bought it. I think I bought it for like $6,000. Uh, I made the first video which of course blew up uh, over a million views it was super interesting to see it and I fixed the car in the first video by replacing the ignition coils because mm-hmm. the previous owner or someone before him used cheap uh, aftermarket ignition coils from eBay which don't work on these cars and it was misfiring like crazy so I purchased yeah. the OE uh, ignition coil put it in the car and the engine was silky smooth oh, fantastic. Ab- so, I mean, absolutely perfect
1: what a beautiful story because I think this for, first of all I have to say I'm a big admirer of the E60 for one reason, because this car looks still super up to time. It looks super modern, it aged so well. I would be here to say this is one of the best aging cars of the last 15 years, in my opinion. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And I remember when we did a press tour on that car, when the M came out. Mm-hmm. with the uh, 10-cylinder engine. We went to uh, Furstenfeldbruck, which was a former military uh, base, for, I think it was Air Force, because they had a landing strip, and then we had the launch control. And I agree, oh. I mean, the six-speed, that would be even better. But I mean, being uh, young and not very well experienced at that time still, I have to say that uh, this was like one of the best driving events I was ever invited to in terms of being a journalist. So I have to say the E60 is a absolute stunning car but i just like to say because you have a very interesting quote on your on your instagram channel it says on a mission to save neglected bmws i mean my question was if it's just to a specific model of is like if it bmw just has to be neglected to be chosen by you so how do you choose the car
0: well for me a good bmw has to be neglected that's how every mm-hmm. good project starts because if i buy a car that's in really good condition or mint condition, then I can't make much content on it. There's nothing for me to fix. So the first, in the beginning, I was buying cars that were slightly neglected. Mm-hmm. They didn't need a ton of work. Like Project Dubai, it didn't need a ton of work, but it still needed a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, but for example, if you compare it with some of my later projects, like the E60, where I had to do the rod bearings and stuff, that was quite interesting and challenging for me because that's something that I've never done before. So doing the rod bearings, that was super scary for me the first time, opening the engine, seeing the crankshaft and all of that. But that's uh, how I gain more experience, learn more stuff, become more confident to do other stuff on the cars and engines. Now I've rebuilt two engines as well, and. I don't know. I feel like there's nothing that I can't do on cars at the moment, which may be good, maybe bad as well, because
1: you you don't want to get too cocky, I guess. (laughs) If you know, you should have a good balance, I would say. That's always very important. But do you choose cars also with the mindset of saying, okay, this will, I think this will perform very well on my YouTube channel? Or is that just an addition?
0: To be honest, I I never did that. I never did that. Okay, this is going to do really well with YouTube. I'm going to buy that car. I always buy them with my heart first. Uh, if it's something that's really interesting to me, if it's a car that I see potential in, that it has good bones, then I'm going to buy it. Yeah. Um, and do you let the cars also then go? Because I mean, uh,
1: space is always like in, uh, a troubling thing, especially uh, if is. we look at renting prices in
0: Frankfurt. So how how is that process? Uh, so in the beginning, uh, YouTube wasn't making much money, so I had to sell my cars. Uh, But right now, the YouTube is doing pretty well. I also have my lovely Patreons. Uh, I have merchandise where I sell t-shirts and stuff. So I'm in a position where I'm able to keep some of the cars. The car that I'm going to have to sell next is uh, Project Chicago, which is Alpina B7, based on the 7 Series 750i. Mm -hmm. That will have to go because I have a lot of money in it, and to free up the funds for other projects. For example, I'm restoring E31 850i with the six-speed manual, and I'm going with the yeah beautiful, beautiful car, mega car, uh, and very rare. uh, Yeah, they are hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm lucky to say that I owned four of them. And uh, finally, this is the one that I'm going to keep and I'm going to restore every nut and bolt on it. Uh, But in order to finance that project, which is always going to be expensive, I need to sell another car. And then there's the question of space. Like you say, uh, right now I have a garage, which is uh, thankfully just 10 minutes away from my apartment. So I don't waste a lot of time in traffic. But it's about 175 square meters inside. Um, I have uh, two post, one two post lift, one four post lift, a small scissor lift, mm-hmm. and I can fit about seven eight cars inside if I really push them in. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they sit outside. But again, the space is always a problem. I have my landlords. My landlords have their own projects, and the yard is just filled with cars. Yeah. Uh, because uh, another thing that comes with YouTube and and um, And being public and all of that is people start offering me their cars to buy. So if it's something that I can't resist, then I have to buy it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And your story shows
1: also that you combine, and this is what I really like, you combine your enthusiasm, your love and your passion with a job, with a thing that brings in also money and funds to make this not a pain at least, Right, and I think yeah. that's a very good advice to everyone out there. Even though, if you love cars, don't make it that it becomes a financial pain for you, because that puts so much pressure on you that you eventually will not like the car anymore. So either you find ways, like Stratton did, like you did, um, or you just leave it. And I, you know, I have to say, the most of the cars I left because it was uh, just financially not possible. Right? Yeah. But let's speak more about nicer topics. Let's speak about buying cars than rather selling them. You sourced a lot of cars in California when you were living there. So it seems a bit easier. How do you compare the situation to Germany?
0: Well, I started traveling a lot further to get the cars because in Germany they're quite expensive and usually in good condition and I need neglected cars. So I started traveling to Italy, to Spain, uh, to neighboring countries. So I would buy all of those cars and I would usually travel with my girlfriend. So we would make sort of car buying vacation road trips. So yeah. we went to Italy, we bought a car in, in near Ancona, but then we also stayed for the additional three, four days just exploring Italy. We went to Milan, to Treviso, to Venice. And is that and, where uh,
1: you get the names for your projects? Because I saw all the videos on YouTube uh, that are related to your projects have city names.
0: Yeah, I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to just call it E31, 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 but rather I'm going to do something that no one has ever done before. For example, Mm -hmm. if I bought my car in Dubai, I'm going to call it Project Dubai. If I bought it in Frankfurt, I'm going to call it Project Frankfurt. And uh, I think it's, I don't know, I like it because... It gives it a certain twist, but still to this day, I have questions of people asking me, why did you name it uh, Project Raleigh or something like that? Or with Project Dubai, oh, you're located in Dubai. Can I come and service your car in Dubai as well? So Sometimes I have to explain, but I think by now everybody gets it uh, where the name comes from. I mean, it works well on YouTube. And And it's also the diversity as well, because I buy cars all over the place, not just in Germany, but not just in Europe, I buy them all over the world. Um, so when you get to have a different cool name, it's it's nice. Like Project Chicago as well, that's an interesting one as well. So. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about Chicago then. Uh, so that's the Alpina B7. Uh, that's the car that I bought for $4,000 uh, that seemed in sort of goodish condition. <laughs> yeah, Not really. It came with a check engine light, but the engine sounded super sweet. Uh, turns out uh, the engine wasn't super sweet and uh, it needed a full uh, full <laughs> engine rebuild the first one didn't go down so well. The machine shop that, that I hired didn't do a good job with the block. So the engine lasted about 100 kilometers when it started knocking. Then I rebuilt it again uh, using original stock BMW block. And uh, so far, knocking wood wood, it's working really well. Uh, cool. But that's the project. A lot of people ask me, do I regret doing that project? And uh, I really don't because it gave me a fantastic experience and yeah. confidence to do other stuff. So tearing that engine apart down to bare block, every single nut and bolt, and then putting it back together, it was super, super fun and a huge learning curve. So I'm really happy that I've done the project. I mean, that's the best thing
1: you could say about that. Because, first of all, you know, Alpina are cool things. They are. Yeah, they are. I mean, I remember when I played with my little Herpa models, we were in the scale 1 to 85. Um, The Alpinas were always the ones I loved the most. Mm -hmm. But let's jump back regarding your project. Is it fair to say that failure, if I may say so, gives also a lot back to you in terms of knowledge and also help those who are following you to understand things better and to avoid failure or mistakes?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and as long as we learn for our mistakes, for example, mine with the block that I didn't measure it when I got it from the machine shop. I mean, that's something at the time I didn't know how to do. And I hired a machine shop, you know, yeah. they, they know what they're doing. They're the machine shop. They're going to measure the block. Uh, yeah. but again, that's something that I learned next time I get something from the machine shop, I'm going to measure it myself and then, then be the judge of that. You share it, and so you
1: enable others to go to the machine workshop and say, like, did you have a look at that as well? Can you confirm yeah. that? So it makes uh, life much better and easier, in a sense. Yeah, and exactly. uh, for the YouTube channel, you met with Jason Camisa, who was also mm-hmm. our guest. I mean, we have quite a, a good bunch of guests in the BMW uh, sphere, I have to say. So, um, And you broke his car, actually, I think. I did. Yes. Yeah, I did. So That was fun. Uh, was Jason mad at you and was shouting in German like uh, swear words in German because as you know who tuned in for the podcast he speaks German fluently. It does. It's it does, incredible. Indeed. Yeah,
0: it's 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 incredible. So uh, I've been following Jason for years, uh, all of his stuff in Motor Trend on YouTube and other yeah. platforms. Um and then all of a sudden when I started my YouTube channel and I was doing the E31 projects, uh, he wrote me on Instagram out of nowhere and he said, "Oh, I'm a big fan of your channel" and he wrote me something stupid and funny as he always does. Yeah. And ever since then we've been friends. I mean, he's He is an amazing person. If you watch his videos on Haggerty, he is exactly as he is on the videos, as he is in person. Super funny, super down to earth, super humble. Um, And you
1: also visited him in San Francisco, right? And I remember that it turned out to be quite an automotive party.
0: Yeah, he had the bright idea to organize a subscriber meetup, something that I've never done before. Yeah. And uh, we didn't know how it's going to go down, if we're going to have a ton of people. Uh, but Jason said we can do it at his Haggerty studio where he does his revelations videos. Yes. And uh, I told him the best would be to post maybe a couple of days in advance. We don't want to post too far in advance and then have too many people and not be able to uh, have every, everyone at one spot. Um, needless to say, it went really well. We had around 70, 80 people, and uh, that was one of the amaz- most amazing experiences that I that I've had. Because meeting all of the people at once, uh, I was constantly chatting with someone, people just coming up wanted to take pictures with me, tell me their story about BMWs. That was absolutely amazing to hear how they were inspired with my videos and they gave them confident, confidence to work on their own cars and projects. It was just something that's, that was just out of this world. Uh. And uh, something that I definitely want to do in the future as well with BMW Group Classic and uh, Hofmeisters. Yes. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it this year because I have a lot of stuff on my plate. But um, I'm planning to do something in Frankfurt area with Hofmeisters, where I can bring all of my projects, invite all of the subscribers, whoever wants to come, see the car, see the me, uh, see me, and uh, they can do so. So please let me know, maybe because uh, because Frankfurt, Zurich, Frankfurt
1: is not that far.
0: It's not, yeah. So I'm it's happy to, would love well.
1: to, would love to, would love to, to see that and join that. Yeah. But my that was, question was that you broke Jason Kabisa's cars. I so did. I you, did. You, you tried to avoid to answer if he was mad on you and how,
0: what happened and how did you fix it? Uh, so we draw one of his favorite cars, which was a shirako convertible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was I'd my first time. never heard about
1: that car, to be honest. I never knew that there was a Shirako convertible.
0: Uh Jason might hate me for this, but uh it's, yeah. was it Scirocco? I don't remember, to be quite okay. honest. We will
1: ask, Jason, give us a ring or give us a shout, uh, text us when this is wrong. Yeah, he's gonna hate me for so this. You uh, love that convertible, that light convertible.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so he has a Scirocco that he loves really much. And then he has another car, which I don't know if I can say, he calls it "bitch Basket. Yeah, um, of course. Uh, which is a Golf Mark 1 convertible, yeah. if I'm being more precise. Um. And uh, everything is mechanical on that car. Um, so you, to go into the reverse, you have to press the the gear knob down and then to the left or something like that. Exactly. And apparently I pressed it too hard. So it went through the floor. <laughs> the <laughs> link you just fell out of the car. <laughs> Jason was uh, was laughing like crazy. And uh, it was... Uh, you know, the guy welcomes you <laughs> in your home, he works in yeah. your car, and I repay him by breaking his car. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, it was something simple, just the circle popped out, so we were able to fix Good. it right there on the spot and then go for a nice drive on beautiful California ro- roads. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's the best example that uh, bad ideas create great memories. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, you know, in, in Germany, we say to that car, uh, like ah, the yes. basket for, for strawberries,
0: yeah and it was a uh, it was an amazing experience because i didn't really feel comfortable with the car because it was front wheel drive and yeah. there was a bit of a play in the steering wheel at least to me and Jason is like you don't know how to drive this car and i told him like please sit behind the wheel and you show me how this car drives and he was absolutely nuts yeah. seeing him and what he can do in that car yes and uh, he told me he can beat some of the most modern fast cars on the back roads with that car because of the way it drives and he was able to drift the front wheel drive car on a ramp on the highway which was just hilarious. Just I could drive with him for days because he's such a good driver. He is the way he changes gears as well. You don't feel anything. No. you don't feel a little stump or anything. You can just go from fourth to third to second to one. You're not gonna feel anything.
1: I mean, uh, so this shout out goes to to Jason. So anytime for the next videos, every time you shift, you should have like playing smooth operator. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that will be the right soundtrack for a driving clip, uh, Jason. Yeah. So. Some of your YouTube videos exceed the number of 3,000 comments. I mean, that's fantastic because the engagement of your followership is really what makes it important to do the videos you do. Yeah. But my question is, how do you cope with all the comments in terms of time because just of the
0: sheer number of them? To this day, I actually read all of my comments when I post a new video. The next two, three days, I'm going to pretty much go through all of the comments and read them. Uh, I usually like them because that's the fastest thing that I do, put a little heart that I read the comment. Sometimes if I need to respond or clarify something, I do it. But I love reading my comments because they're all super positive and it just gives me that energy to keep going. Uh, But lately I've been getting a lot of messages from people wanting to stop by the workshop. Mm. And uh, that's one of the things that I unfortunately don't have the time for because like like I said, I spend all of my time working on the cars in the workshop I'm never not doing anything. I'm always doing something, either filming, recording, sorting the parts out. Then I have to run home, be with my girlfriend. Then I have to manage all of the other stuff, the business side of it. It's just really tough to manage uh, time like that. So when someone asks me if they can come to my workshop, to, to visit, to see the car, visit me, talk to me. Uh, that's when I refer them that there's going to be a subscriber meetup in the future. And hopefully we can meet there because individual visits from everyone, yeah, I get at least possible. five or six messages like yeah. that every week. And it's just impossible for me, uh, for, for me to accommodate everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. But, uh, but again, like you touched that subject, it's without them there would be no YouTube channel. So yeah. I'm really grateful for every single comment, for every single subscriber, like, and people watching the videos. It's it's why the channel exists.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's true. And uh, if what you said, I would use now because we would also invite everyone who tunes in to leave comments, to give us a like and uh, tell us what we can do better. Uh, just uh, do us the favor and share your visions, ideas, and also give us ideas of guests you would like to have uh, in an interview and in, in the podcast. So uh,
0: let's yeah. see. But again, in my spare time, whenever I'm uh, not doing something special, I would go and read those messages. And oftentimes I would get a really good comment that's going to remind me, oh, crap, I should have done that. Yes. Uh, yes. Why didn't I do that? I was like, thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Um. Oh, let's switch
1: topic, because I would like to speak about a very special project you just mentioned on social media. Uh, you recently started working on a, let's say, very special engine. Uh, it's an uh, engine from an E3. 38, which we think okay that's nothing special at the moment yeah but it's uh, if I give you the model it's a 750 HL. so yes. a hydrogen-powered car working on that one is that different to a normal combustion a petrol combustion engine
0: um, it's actually exactly the same uh, mm-hmm. I got really lucky and I found that engine an hour and a half away from Frankfurt Uh So I just bought it because I knew I was going to do a project uh, with E31 850i. Uh, The only thing that's different with that engine compared to regular M73 engine is that they modified the intake manifolds to accommodate hydrogen, and they switched from distribution cap to ignition coils. Mm -hmm. That's it. Everything else is stock M73 internals. They didn't change anything with that engine, which was actually good because I needed the stock block and heads for my build that I'm Mm -hmm. doing with the 8 series. But uh, well, it, was, it was a quite popular video as well. I posted yeah. it, uh, I think it was two weeks ago. Uh, it got about half a million views. So it was quite interesting uh, for people to see tear teardown of that engine and see how it looks like on the inside.
1: That's because uh, hydrogen, uh, besides uh, electric power vehicles and um, alternative petrol, or like artificial petrol, those are the three things that are majorly discussed now, right? Mm-hmm. focus is on the EVs at the moment. I think the second discussed part is a hydrogen uh, one, uh, like a hydrogen uh, alternative. What is your opinion about this?
0: So I'm gonna be honest, I don't know a lot on this topic. Um, mm-hmm. So take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I am fascinated by the technology of hydrogen. Uh, I've saw the hydrogen E38 750 HL in, in Munich when yeah. Benny showed me around BMW classic. Uh, I saw one example in, in flesh. Um, and then just reading upon how it works and the, the water is just coming out of the exhaust. There are no emissions and stuff. It's really fascinated. On yeah. the other hand, I know it's super complicated to store and produce hydrogen. Yes. You need a special tank in the car. You need special, uh, fuel stations to, to, to deliver yeah. the hydrogen and stuff um we will see uh, where it goes yeah let's jump yeah.
1: back to bmw's and restoring bmw's in your opinion and your experience what is the most challenging bmw i see Might the most painstaking bmw to work on Oof,
0: that is a good question i'm um, famous for that yeah, so people uh, people often think that the old V12s, the ones that are in uh, E31 and E32, are really difficult to work on. And while the engine bay is really tight, so it can be challenging to get to the spark plugs and stuff like that, they're actually really simple engines. So yeah. they're super simple to work on. Everything is just double. You have two fuel pumps, two DMEs, two distributor caps. Everything is just like split in two. And so once you understand how the engine works and how the whole system works together, it's not that difficult to work on. One of the most trickiest engines that I worked on was the Project Chicago Alpina V7. Mm-hmm. It's now, I don't think it's tricky at all. I think it's easy, but at the time it was super challenging for me because it was something completely brand new. Yeah. You have, uh, you have a supercharger, you have the intercooler, you have million connectors and sensors and stuff. And just connecting all of that just seemed like a nightmare. But in reality, it's actually really easy because each connector is unique. So you can't really mix them up when you're yeah. reassembling something. Uh, for example, the head is quite complicated because he has that valtronic thing. But again, it wasn't that challenging in the end because the the whole thing just comes out as a one unit. So it's super easy to reinstall and do stuff like that. Um, I've done quite a lot of work on Project uh, Raleigh E60 M5 with the V10 engine, yeah. and I love that engine. That engine is a masterpiece. The, the, The way that BMW managed to create that in a four-door saloon back in 2005 when the car was introduced was just magic. 500 horsepower and four doors. And the noise that engine makes is unbelievable. So that's one of my all-time favorite engines ever. And uh, I would definitely like to do a full rebuild on that engine one day. Hopefully not on mine, because hopefully it's going to last. Uh, But one of the projects that I have coming up is uh, E92 M3, Project Frankfurt. That's actually my dream car mega
1: so you know there's always a part where we ask our guest about a specific thing where we think the guest knows best out of experience Mm -hmm. right so for you obviously we have something workshop related um (laughs) and we say buying a pre-owned car can be i wouldn't say always but can be a challenge And let's focus on the 8 Series, because you've worked on a lot of 8 Series and also very special ones. So please share with our audience a tiny, short E31 buyer's guide, starting with the question V8 or V12, and what should you do when you inspect either or car V8 or V12?
0: Okay, so first thing, uh, what I tell people when they ask me is something like that, they're buying a specific car, 8 Series in this in this instance, is join the forums. Forums or Facebook groups where auto owners are. And if you're buying the car and you don't know a lot about it, you can just read through all the topics and threads. You're going to soak, soak in the information. So when you go to see the car, you know what to look for. That's the number one thing. Because E31 community is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the stuff that you can read about the car is stuff that... Even the buyer of the car is not going to know. With the E31 in mind, uh, when it comes to V8 or V12, it just depends uh, on preference. V8s are lighter, uh, so the car is going to feel lighter. The front nose of the car is going to feel lighter. You're you're obviously going to have the V8 burble. So if that's something that you prefer, then you should go for the V8. It's also going to be a bit more economical, maybe a bit easier to maintain as well. Um, But when it comes to the Ruitwell, obviously it's a bit heavier in the front, you have everything that's doubled, the fuel pumps, the DMEs, so it's a bit more complicated to maintain, and the way they drive, they're a bit nose heavy, Mm -hmm. so my suggestion there is go drive both of them and just decide what better suits you. When it comes to the rest of the car, of course, with any old BMW's rust, um, check all of the common spots around the sunroof, all of the fender liners underneath the car. If the car comes from a nice climate like Italy or Spain, that's not something you have to worry about. Yeah. Even my car, uh, Project Marseille, that spent 10 years in the garden south of France, is pretty much completely rust-free, Unbelievable. which is amazing. So yes. for me, that's that's number one thing. The engine can be in million pieces, it can be blown up, but as long as the car doesn't have rust, I can fix everything else. Because the rust, it's not something I can fix or I want to deal with. Uh, It's far too time consuming and it just never ends. The rest of the car, some small electronic stuff. uh, The battery can drain really fast, which is usually the capacitors in the GM module. They have two batteries in the trunk as well. Um, The fuel pumps are really common to go. Especially if the original fuel pumps that are now 30 years old, you have to replace them because even if they work, they're going to be super weak and uh, you have to get a brand new part and it's going to restore the power of the car and the way it runs. Um, of course, they, they like to. Uh, they need to be the engine needs to be sealed 100 mm-hmm. uh, percent one of the common things is uh intake manifold leaks they have rubber gasket between the intake and the cylinder head uh, that crack over time especially due to age and then it's going to develop a tiny leak and v12s are known for running super smooth and if you have any sort of vacuum leaks here and there it's not going to run uh, smooth yeah so that's some of the stuff that you need to check but otherwise they're really really reliable cars um, just basic tune up and then service, spark plugs, ignition coils, belts fuel pumps, and the thing is going to run beautifully because they're really, really robust. Even the one that I took out of the car right now, 212,000 kilometers, the engine is fantastic inside. There's there's nowhere. The cylinders look great. The camshafts look great. Everything looks in, in fantastic order. So that's, for example, an engine that you can do just basic refresh service all of the gasket that it doesn't leak, put it back in the car and it's going to serve you another 200, 300,000 kilometers.
1: Wow, thank you very much. I think that's a that's a big help. And in addition, you can just uh, also subscribe uh, to your YouTube channel where you get up to date and like watch all the recent videos uploaded and you can also learn a lot thank you. that's that's what I did and still my hope as I said at the beginning hope for getting a mechanical positivity I would call it.
0: I forgot one thing that I would like to add. If you find a car, 8 Series or any other car, that's been sitting for five plus years, ten years, don't just dump a battery in it and turn the key and start it. You're going to kill the project even before you start it. You you have to look at the fuel system. If the Mm -hmm. fuel has been sitting for ten years, that's probably going to be all varnished up and the fuel tank can be completely ruined. The best thing always is to remove all of the spark plugs, get some oil in it, WD-40 oil, whatever you have, just lube up the top of the cylinder so when you turn the key or turn the engine manually on the crank, you're not turning the pistons and piston rings on a dry cylinder. Yeah. So if you just take part one of Project Bow, you will find everything you need there, information regarding how to start an old car that's been sitting for, for a lot of time. Threaten, thank
1: you very much. I think that's very, very helpful. And jump over to have a look at the YouTube channel and uh, or Google Project Bilbao BMW 8 Series and I think it will come up immediately. And there's another thing. So as the podcast is non-visual, so you can hear it while driving through beautiful roads uh, on your radio, uh, you also joined for the video team of the BMW Group Classic channel. And we did a little video about you, which can also be found on the YouTube channel of BMW Classic. So how was that?
0: That was sort of my first big experience with a professional production team. Yeah. So Simon, who's directing all of those uh, short videos, he flew in from LA and meeting him was absolutely amazing. And I actually learned a lot of stuff from him, the way he handles the camera, the shots that he gets. Because he had two other guys, uh, the sound recorder and another guy that was flying a drone. We did that over, over two days. We did an interview in the workshop. Then we went for a little drive, getting the shots around Frankfurt. I think it's going to be really, really amazing because it's with one of my favorite cars uh it's the car that my channel name is based on e39 m5 and it's one of my all-time favorite cars so so we hope to see and
1: hear more of you uh outside of your channels and also as we said let's meet up in reality yeah Uh, if you really do the the uh, subscribers meets share the dates and um i most certainly will we will all uh, try to stop by in a sense so everyone who's in the bmw sphere please do so stratton thank you so much for taking this time we don't want to hold you any longer from any other projects now because it's middle of the no, week it's recording it's,
0: it's all good it's all good this was this was a lot of fun you're a great host and it was just super nice chatting with you thank you very much and also thank you to the team alex and Federico, who
1: is they are doing all the background work without them this would not be possible It's just for me to say thank you for joining us for this episode. And we hope you liked it, enjoy it. If you do so, leave us a comment, a like, and don't forget to subscribe that you don't miss out any of the future BMW Group Classic podcast, Classic Heart. This is JP. Thank you very much. Stretching, we can't wait to see the next project. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Bye-bye.